Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we're able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hey, friends. Today in the podcast, we're going to take a closer look at the Christmas story as found in the book of Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2. Advent is such a special season to take a deep dive into Scripture. Whether you are a lifetime Bible reader or a thinking-about-it Bible reader, either way, the Christmas story passages are such a beautiful place to land, my friends. As with all of Scripture, we can never plumb the depths of all found in there. Here in a bit, I will read a portion of these passages from both Matthew and Luke aloud for you. Before I do so, though, I want to encourage all of us that we should read familiar scripture with the goal of seeing it with new eyes and a fresh take. Let's not become so comfortable with scripture that we just pass over those words with an, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know this part, I've heard this all before mentality. But instead, read it once again to see what God would like to teach us today in this reading. My prayer is that God will open all of our eyes and give us a new way of seeing the story we've possibly already heard hundreds of times, and that He will give us a renewed sense of wonder as we look closer at the gift of that baby boy in the manger. Before we begin to prepare our hearts for a fresh look at the Christmas story, though, I first want to follow up and go a bit deeper in thinking about a couple topics I mentioned in our previous Advent episode, one of those being thankfulness. In episode three, we were coming off the Thanksgiving holiday season, and I made an effort to have us camp for a moment on the idea of thankfulness as worshipful warfare, becoming a student of God's faithfulness, being aggressively grateful. Now, if those phrases are unfamiliar, please be sure to go back and take a listen to episode three. For the first time or the fifth time, I so hope you do, my friends. Anyway, as I was recently considering gratitude, this question came to my mind over and over again. How can we practically think through being thankful during this Christmas season that is so very hurried and busy, especially if that is not where we are at in our lives emotionally, physically, spiritually, or even relationally right now? If we were being honest, we may even be wondering, how do I give thanks to God when I don't even really know exactly what it is in my life right now I have to be thankful for? Now that's real life right there, my friends. What we must learn, though, is how to give thanks because of who God is and what he did for each one of us through sending Christ at Christmas time, rather than what we see and experience in our current circumstances. Choosing to be intentionally thankful for God's unfailing love, for his promises fulfilled, for his presence with us in the waiting. During this season, we truthfully have the ultimate reason for thankfulness that God sent his son as a baby born in a manger, who grew and lived the perfect life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die and raised from the dead on the third day to offer us a relationship with God that was otherwise impossible for us to have. And this all began at Christmas. Wow. Because of all this, we can thank our way forward in defiance of whatever our life circumstances might look like right now. A defiant joy, a defiant thankfulness that we fight for. So when life is not working the way I wish it would, it is an invitation to choose to be thankful for what I know is true about God, His faithfulness, steadfast love, and the undeserved gift of Jesus in the manger. 
This doesn't mean that we have to thank him for our hard circumstances, but we can certainly thank him through them and be on the lookout for all of his blessings in the midst of it all. Thank you, God, for being with each one of us in the hard. Emmanuel, God with us. As we move on, the second thought from episode three that I would like to take a moment to further develop is the idea of waiting and God's timing. I'll begin by reading from the book of Galatians in chapter four, verses four and five from the New Living Translation to start us off here. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Let's take a minute to examine this scripture in light of Christmas. Let's consider, what do these verses teach us? What do we think the phrase at the beginning of verse 4 means? But when the right time came. In God's sovereignty, he works and acts at just the right time as we see modeled in Jesus' birth. Jesus was born into the world after an incredibly long season of silence from God. The approximately 400 years of time that passed between the book of the Old Testament prophet Malachi and the opening of the New Testament. Even though the people of God couldn't see it, God was working to orchestrate the coming of Jesus at just the right time. Although God seems silent and distant during what is called the intertestamental period, in reality, he never stopped working on behalf of his people. See what they did there in naming this time period? The in-between Old Testament and New Testament period equals intertestaments. So clever. When the time had fully come, God revealed his plan. God demonstrated his gracious love in the most deliberate and intentional way. With the birth of our rescuer in Bethlehem, as promised by the prophet Micah when he wrote 500 years before the coming of Jesus, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. During the times in our lives when God seems silent, he's often working in ways we can't see or understand to prepare us for what he has next. A little research on this time period shows that during the 400 years before the birth of Jesus, a lot changed. Cultures merged. Both Jews and Gentiles were dissatisfied with religion. The Greeks, Romans, and other nations were questioning the validity of polytheism. The scriptures were translated into other languages. Roads were built, and most people were free to travel. When Israel came under Roman rule about 63 BC, hope and faith were low for God's people. They were convinced the only thing that could save them and their faith was the appearance of the Messiah. God had the world primed for the Messiah. After years of not hearing from God, the Hebrew people were set up for the arrival of a Savior. During times when God seems silent and I feel forgotten, I often remind myself of Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, which says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither leave you nor abandon you. God will never leave you, my friends. He is working out his plan, preparing the way for your next step, even when you can't see it. As John Piper wrote, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Such a powerful reminder. Are you waiting on God's timing in response to your prayers? We must not doubt him or give up hope. We must believe that at the right time he will respond. Truthfully, that he is already responding by getting everything in place behind the scenes for the answer to then be revealed to us. We must also make an effort to trust his judgment and to trust that he has our best interests in mind. Now that's a lot of trusting, right? (laughs) 
In his book, Waiting Here for You, An Advent Journey of Hope, Louis Giglio says this, Suddenly, when the time was right, Bethlehem's fields lit up like noonday as angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men on whom his favor rests. The wait was over. The silence was broken. Heaven unleashed thunderous applause, and in a feeding trough, Jesus was born. God in human flesh, the Son of God, had become the Son of Man, Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is a story of longing fulfilled. That's why it gives us reason to celebrate the goodness and nearness of God in the midst of our waiting seasons. As we struggle with our own sense of silence, and as we strain to see God at work in our convoluted lives, Christmas urges us on by reminding us that God will come through on His promises. Phew! Now that's some good news, my friends. The promise of Christmas. Okay, friends, now as I promised, I think I'm ready for us to dig into the Christmas story. The story of the birth of Jesus the Messiah is found in chapter 1 of the book of Matthew. Here are these passages from the New Living Translation. Remember that we are praying for a fresh reading of these passages, my friend. Let's see what we can discover from this text together. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, The birth of Jesus is foretold. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? 
When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my soul rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Let's stop here to imagine the situation for a moment. Shortly after Mary is visited by the angel, she leaves to spend three months with Elizabeth and then comes back to Nazareth to tell Joseph. Three months of knowing she's pregnant, but not having told anyone except Elizabeth and maybe even Zechariah. Then Joseph, when he finds out, plans to divorce her, but the angel comes to him in a dream after which he then takes Mary to be his wife, but does not consummate the relationship until after Jesus is born. Just let that soak in a minute and allow this to be a reminder that these are real people with real human emotions and feelings in a seemingly difficult and very complicated experience. Once again, a reminder that these are not just stories, but are true in history and that these are real people just like us. Now let's move on to Luke chapter 2 for the birth of Jesus. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that we great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. It is so important to remember here, friends, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, God is in the business of revealing new things constantly through his word. We just must have our hearts ready to receive by reading with fresh eyes and a heart desiring to discover more and more of God and Jesus on these thin, crinkly pages. Things you might not see the first, second, or even the third time you read them, but everything changes when you finally do see them. 
What are some things you're personally seeing from these verses after today's reading of the Christmas story? Let me share with you another option that has so helped me in reading scripture in a new way, from a fresh new perspective, to see scripture in more flesh and bones kind of way. One way to do so is to read fictionalized accounts of various stories from scripture. The Lineage of Grace by Francine Rivers is one of my go-to books in this regard. I love how Rivers takes the scripture accounts of all the women listed in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus and then created action and dialogue, internal thoughts, and so on to help us see these women more fully as they live their actual real lives. Here is an excerpt from Unafraid, a portion of Francine Rivers' Christmas story retelling featuring Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and those shepherds from the field. Take a listen here for a minute or two, my friends. It was dusk when they finally arrived in Bethlehem. Normally a small town inhabited mostly by shepherds and farmers, it now teemed with members of David's tribe come home for the Roman census. It was easy to find the line for registering, and he stood with Mary leaning against a donkey until it came his turn to give his name and the number in his household. Joseph of the tribe of Judah and my wife Mary. The Roman raised his head enough to see Mary's condition. He added one check to the column for children, the better for gaining more taxes. Next, he said impatiently, dismissing them without a glance. Oh, Joseph, Mary groaned, her white hands spreading over her swollen belly as she bent forward. I'll find us a place. He put his arm around her and helped her walk. Men stood on every corner, grumbling about the emperor's decree and the throng of sojourners. Joseph set Mary upon the donkey again, but each step increased the pain he could see in her eyes. He stopped half a dozen times, only to hear the same response from each innkeeper. There's no room here. Now move along. Joseph, Mary gasped, bending over again. Oh, Joseph. He'd never seen a look of panic in her eyes before, and it shook him deeply. Her fingers clutched the donkey's mane, trying to keep herself from falling. Joseph quickly lifted her from the animal and carefully set her down against the wall of the last inn. He pounded on the door. Please, he said to a man as he opened the door. Please, can you make room for us? My wife has reached her time. The man peered past Joseph and grimaced when he saw Mary. There's no room for you here. Go away. Have mercy, Joseph grabbed the edge of the door before it was closed. Please, I beg of you. Beg all you want, the man growled, but it won't change anything. Regret flickered as he glanced at Mary again. A curse upon the Roman dog who put people like you on the road. He shoved Joseph back and slammed the door. There was a loud thud as he dropped the bar, denying entrance to anyone else. Shaking, Joseph turned to Mary. Her eyes grew huge. Oh... Her voice was taunt with pain, her arms around her belly, her knees drawing up. He knelt down quickly and gripped her arms. Hold on, Mary, hold on. The pain eased and she looked at him with tear-washed, frightened eyes. He will come soon, no matter where we are. Oh, Lord, help us. Joseph looped the donkey's reins into his belt and lifted Mary in his arms. Lord, Lord, show me where to go. The Lord will help us, Mary, he said as he carried her. He will help us. He fought back the doubts attacking him. Mary groaned and her body tensed in his arms. Fear filled him as he looked around, frantically searching for help. An older woman sat, leaning against a wall, a worn blanket wrapped snugly around her. Try the caves down there. A gnarled hand appeared from beneath the soiled blanket, a bony finger pointing. The shepherds keep their flock there in the winter, but they'll be out in the hills now. May the Lord bless you. Joseph carried Mary down the hill and across the flat stretch. He saw the mouth of a small cave above him and headed for it. He wrinkled his nose as he entered the dark recesses, for the air was dank and fetid from the odors of dung and smoke. The donkey followed him into the cave and headed straight for the manger near the back.
Mary tensed in his arms again and cried out. Fear washed over Joseph as he looked at the filthy floor of the cave. Is this the place where the Messiah will be born? Tears filled his eyes. Here, Lord? He's coming, Mary said. Oh, Joseph, Jesus is coming. What did he know about helping a woman bear a child? Was there time to find a midwife? Even if he had time, where would he go to look for one? And what if Mary, in his absence? You must stand here a moment, he set her gently on her feet. Use this post for support while I prepare a place for you. He found a pitchfork and spread straw on the stable near the back, then yanked his blanket from the pack on the donkey and spread it over the straw. He helped Mary lie down. Try to rest while I build a fire and find water. Kindling and firewood were stacked to the one side of the entrance of the cave, and a cask of water stood near a trough. He tasted it and found it surprisingly fresh. Within a few minutes, he had a small fire going in the pit near the center of the cave. Above it, the ceiling was blackened by years of soot. The floor caked with the packed dun of hundreds of animals who'd been sheltered here over the years. I'm sorry, Mary. He knelt beside her, tears running down his cheek into his beard. I'm sorry I couldn't find a better place for him to be born. She took his hand and pressed it against her cheek. God brought us here. Her fingers tightened and she began to pant and groan. He felt her pain as though it were his own. For the first time in his life, Joseph wished he was other than a carpenter who knew nothing of these matters. He begged God for wisdom, for help, for Mary's intense pain to be over and for the child to be safely delivered. And then Mary uttered a sharp gasp and Joseph saw water spread a stain over the blanket beneath her hips. Tell me what I can do to help you. Nothing. Her grip eased in his hand, but she smiled through her pain. Haven't women been going through this since the Garden of Eden? She closed her eyes as another contraction came rolling over the first, her fingers tightening painfully around his. When the pain passed, she panted heavily. My mother gave me a small bag of salt, a piece of sharp slate, some yarn and strips of cloth. They're in the pack. He found them for her. I'll need water, Joseph. There is fresh water in the cask. I'll fill the skin. Place it beside me, Joseph, and then go outside. But Mary? She was only 14, a mere child herself. How could she manage on her own? She spoke with authority. Go, Joseph. I know what to do. Mother gave me instructions before we left Nazareth, and surely the Lord will guide me in this as he has guided us in everything thus far. Go now. She clenched her teeth, her shoulders rising from the ground. Go! Joseph went outside. Too tense to sit, he paced, praying under his breath. He heard Mary moan and pause, listening intently in case she changed her mind and cried out for him. He heard the hay rustling and paced again, staring up at the points of light in the dark sky. He sensed forces gathering around him as though invisible beings had come to witness this event. Angelic or demonic, he didn't know. Heart pounding, Joseph beseeched God for help and stepped back so that he was standing in the entrance of the cave. The wind came up and for an instant he thought he heard laughter and a dark voice speaking. Do you really believe you can protect them from me? Joseph fell to his knees and raised his hands to the heavens where God was upon his throne, and he prayed fervently. You are the Lord our God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Protect Mary and your son from the one who is trying to destroy them both. And he stretched out his arms as though to take the full force of whatever would come against them. The cold wind stopped and the air around him grew warm again. His heart slowed as he heard the sound of wings. Scripture flooded his mind. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I am with you. Squatting, Mary uttered a last fierce cry as the Son of God bathed in blood and water slid from her body. Sagging to her knees, she lifted him and held him against her breast, welcoming into the world with soft, joyous tears. 
He cried in the cold night air, and Mary worked quickly using the yarn to tie off the cord before cutting it. She gazed at her son in adoration as she washed his slick, squiggling body with water and rubbed the salt over his skin to prevent infection. She was surprised that he looked like any other baby. There was no hint of Shekinah glory or of the majesty of his almighty father. Ten fingers, ten toes, a thatch of black hair, skinny little legs and arms, and a wizened face of a newborn who had dwelt in water for nine long months. She laughed as she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and held him again, kissing his face and cradling him tenderly in her arms. Jesus, she whispered, my precious Jesus. She was filled with emotion. She held in her arms the hope of Israel, the anointed one of God, son of man, God the son, the son of God. Closing her eyes, she breathed a prayer, help me be his mother, Lord. Oh, help me. When all was accomplished, as her mother had said, Mary rose on trembling legs. Joseph, she called softly, come and see him. Joseph entered the cave immediately, his face pale and sweating as though he had been the one in travail and not her. She laughed softly in joy and looked down at Jesus sleeping in her arms. Isn't he beautiful? Never had she felt such love for any human being. She felt she would burst with it. Joseph came close and peered at the baby, a look of surprise on his face. Mary's knees were trembling with exhaustion and she looked around for a warm, safe bed for her son. There was only the manger. Add more straw, Joseph, and he'll be warm. As Joseph prepared the manger, Mary kissed her baby's face, knowing that one day this baby would grow up and hold the destiny of Israel in his hands. It's ready, Joseph said, and Mary stepped over and placed Jesus in the manger filled with straw. When she turned, she felt lightheaded. Joseph caught her up in his arms and placed her on a bed of fresh straw. Her eyes were so heavy. I'm sorry, my love, Joseph said in a choked whisper. There's no one here to help you but me. He removed her soiled dress, washed her gently, dressed her like a child in the soft woolen shift her mother had made for her, and covered her with blankets, tucking the edges around her the same way she had tucked Jesus into his humble, warm bed. Mary sighed, content. All is well, isn't it, Joseph? He kissed her softly. Yes, my love, all is well. Joseph rose and went to stand by the manger. His heart beating fast, he stared down at the child. Tucking his finger into the edge of the blanket, he drew it down so he could gaze on the face of the one who would save his people. Jesus, he whispered, Jesus. He touched the velvet soft skin of the infant's face and brushed the tiny palm. When the baby's fingers closed around his finger, his heart raced even faster. Never had he felt such encompassing joy and spreading terror. Am I to be his earthly father, Lord, a simple carpenter? Surely your son deserves better than I. Joseph looked around at the dark walls of the shepherd's cave and tears filled his eyes. Filled with shame, he looked down again and swallowed hard. Forgive me. This child deserved to be born in a palace. Forgive me. Tears streamed down his cheeks. The baby's eyes opened and looked up at him. Joseph's shame melted away as love filled him. Leaning down, he kissed the tiny hand that gripped his finger, and everything in him opened to the will of God. When a footfall sounded behind him, Joseph turned sharply, placing himself firmly in front of the manger. An old shepherd stood at the entrance of the cave, a younger man just behind him. They peered in with expressions rapt and curious. Is the child here? The older man stepped inside the cave, asking. The child of whom the angels spoke? The angels? Joseph saw other shepherds behind these two and beyond them a flock of sheep in the grassland below the hillside cave. An angel of the Lord appeared among us, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded us, the shepherd said as others crowded the entrance. We were terrified, but the angel said, do not be afraid. Another said, he told us, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. Another pressed forward, the Savior. 
Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. The older shepherd looked from Joseph to Mary, asleep in the hay, and then the manger at the back of the cave. His eyes glowed with hope. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to all whom God favors. Tears streamed down his face. Joseph turned and lifted Jesus from the manger. His name is Jesus. At the sound of Jesus' name, the shepherd fell to their knee, their face aglow in the firelight. Mary awakened, startled at the gathering of strangers. She pushed herself up. Joseph came to her and hunkered down with Jesus in his arms. The Lord has announced Jesus' birth, Mary. He explained how the shepherds had come to find them. Smiling at the shepherds, Mary sank back wearily. She smiled serenely as Joseph placed God the Son in her arms. Joseph and the shepherds watched as she and Jesus fell asleep together. The Lord has come, Joseph said quietly. The old shepherd closed his eyes, tears blending into his beard. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mary awakened in the wee hours of the morning at Jesus' cry. She drew him close and nursed him, marveling at what God had done for her. Each tug in her breast filled her with a sense of wonder and bonded her more strongly to her son. The night was still and silent as she cuddled Jesus close. She could see light streaming into the entrance of the cave and wondered at it. When Jesus finished feeding, she rose carefully, wincing at the pain in her loins, as she carried him back to the manger and snuggled him into the blanket cradled by hay. Taking up her shawl, Mary went to the cave entrance and gazed up at the night sky. Was it her imagination that one star shone more brightly than all the others? It was like a shaft of light breaking through the floor of heaven and shining down on the city of David. Had not the prophet Joel said the Lord would display wonders in the sky and on the earth when the Savior came? Lifting her shawl, Mary covered her hair. Lord Most High, Creator of all people, you who dwell in heaven so far above us, you who are holy, I love you. She pressed her clasped hands against her heart. I adore you. There is no other like you in all the universe. She closed her eyes, her heart filled with confident hope. You have made me the vessel for your son. Your kingdom will come. Through him you will reign upon earth as you do in heaven. She looked up again. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and blessed be the name of your son, Jesus. A cold night breeze rippled her thin dress. She hugged her arms around her. Though chilled, she remained at the cave entrance a moment longer, thinking about the day the angel of the Lord had come to her with the announcement that she would bear God's son. She thought of Joseph's dream and his acceptance of her and the miracle child she carried. She thought how even a Roman emperor unwittingly obeyed the will of the Lord by commanding the census that called Joseph home to Bethlehem, so that the prophecy about the place of the Messiah's birth would be fulfilled. She thought about the shepherds who had received the news of the Messiah's birth from the angels. And the more she thought about the things that had happened, the more she realized her mind could not fathom all the Lord had planned and would accomplish through her son. Her gaze drifted over the landscape. She looked up at Herod's palace on the mount overlooking Bethlehem. Up there dwelt an earthly king so jealous of his power that he had murdered his wife and two of his sons. Shuddering, she stared at the lighted windows of the great castle. They seemed to stare down at her. Weariness swept over her, and she turned away from the mouth of the cave. She must rest so she would be ready when Jesus needed to be nursed again. Yawning, she returned to the bed Joseph had made. The hay rustled as she sat, and her husband awakened. He started to rise, but she put her hand against his shoulder. Everything is fine, Joseph. Go back to sleep. As she lay down, he drew her close and pulled the blanket over them both. He asked her again if she was warm enough and tucked her closer. Wow, just wow. I hope you were as blessed as I was to take a look at the Christmas story as written in this way. 
It most definitely provides us with a fresh take to consider about these events, as we have been looking for throughout our time together in this episode. Touching. So very amazing. As a side note here, let me just encourage you to find the link in the show notes for this true treasure of a book to read, and then I encourage you to dig even deeper by completing the Bible study found at the end of the book. Such an important look at each one of the women God chose to include in the lineage of Jesus. Flaws, faith, and all the rest. So beautiful to consider. I absolutely guarantee it will be time well spent, my friends. As we have repeatedly discussed, one of the things I love about taking a closer look at the Christmas story each year during this season is that we can learn so many new things. Many of us grew up knowing the Christmas story and hearing about it from people who loved and cared about us. But as we've been digging deeper this Advent season, I hope you are seeing even more connections and understanding it even more clearly. That, my friends, is why it's so important for us to open our Bibles together with me and Faring. (laughs) Anyway, I pray these examples of faithfulness from the traditional Christmas narrative will help us stay engaged, present, strong, courageous, and grateful in our part in the larger redemptive story that God began years and years ago and is still weaving together today. Yes, each one of us. God also wants to use our lives to bring Him glory and point people to Jesus, just like He used Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, and the shepherds even. God promises abundant joy and hope when we say yes to His leading, even when we can't quite see the big picture. I often say to others that we have the puzzle piece of our own lives, but only God has the cover of the box to know how it all fits together. Let's let God realign our hopes around Jesus so we can be delighted by the glimpses of God's glory and work in and through us this Christmas season and into the new year. Truthfully though, my friends, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus each December, we are celebrating so much more than His birth. The story of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds even all take us down the path toward the most significant event in human history, the death and resurrection of this baby born in Bethlehem. For this reason, when thinking of Christmas, it's hard not to think of Easter as well. When we celebrate the birth of our Savior, we're honoring the sacrifice He made for us too. Gathering around the manger is only part of it. We also need a journey to the foot of the cross. We are actually told in the first chapter of the New Testament why Jesus came. He came to save His people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Christ the Savior is born. In our own home, we commemorate this idea of Jesus journeying to the cross by having a crown of thorns along with our star at the top of our tree. Just another visual reminder that that baby in the manger also becomes our Savior on the cross. In this season of Christmas and gift-giving, let us remember as we head into the new year that God's Word, His words to us on these pages, is a gift to us. Let us fully open that gift. Let's open our Bibles together. Oh, my friends, I can only imagine how much God delights in us opening up His Word and digging in, pulling the threads from the Old Testament to the New to discover the connections and to understand in a new way the big picture story, trying to see what it is He's doing throughout, and His character is found on all of these pages. I pray for an excitement in our hearts as we consider not only opening this gift, but settling into these pages to discover the giver. With that thought in mind, my friends, I will be back in early January to take us to the beginning, literally, as we launch into an in-depth look at the book of Genesis together in the new year. We will meet together in the pages of Genesis to officially begin our deep dive chapter-by-chapter study. Eek! Until then, I am wishing you the merriest of Christmases, my friend. Be sure to take a look at the show notes for links to several carols and Christmas specials highlighting various aspects of the Christmas story in a visual way. I love each one so much. 
I hope you find a moment with a cup of coffee, hot tea, or our family's personal favorite, Rockstar Hot Chocolate, to listen and watch. And just in case you're wondering right about now about the Rockstar Hot Chocolate I mentioned, it is really just hot chocolate with hazelnut or peppermint mocha creamer. So yummy. Anyway, I promise it will be so worth our time to watch and listen as we try to set our hearts and minds on the reason we celebrate this Christmas season. With all that said, I hope you continue in the days leading up to Christmas to make time to do as we have done in these last couple Advent episodes, to continue to dig deep into all things related to Jesus' birth story, and to remember to focus on exactly what that baby in the manger means to each one of us. Christ, our Savior, is born. Okay, friends, if you've not done so already, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you are loving the show, please go give this one a five-star review, which is like giving me and this podcast a digital hug, plus is a way to help others find it so they can join us here too. Definitely seems like a win-win to me. (laughs) Also, if you are curious about digging deeper in any of the things we talked about today, be sure to check out the show notes by swiping up on your podcast app screen to see them below. But if you can't find them there, they are always available at mfaring.com in the show notes section of the podcast pages. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends.